Welcome to the Hackberry House of Cho Sun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a sermon that was once preached by Charles Spurgeon. The title is The Resurrection of Our Lord Jesus, and the text is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead, according to my gospel. Our text is found in Paul's second letter to Timothy. The venerable minister is anxious about the young man who has preached with remarkable success and whom he regards in some respects as his successor. The old man is about to put off his tabernacle, and he is concerned that his son in the gospel should preach the same truth as his father has preached and should by no means adulterate the gospel. A tendency showed itself in Timothy's day, and the same tendency exists at this very hour, to try to get away from the simple matters of fact upon which our religion is built, to something more philosophical and hard to be understood. The word which the common people heard gladly is not fine enough for cultured sages, and so they must needs surround it with a mist of human thought and speculation. Three or four plain facts constitute the gospel, even as Paul puts it in the fifteenth chapter of his first epistle to the Corinthians. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Upon the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, our salvation hinges. He who believes these truths all aright hath believed the gospel, and believing the gospel, he shall without doubt find eternal salvation therein. But men want novelties. They cannot endure that the trumpet should give forth the same certain sound. They crave some fresh fantasia every day. The gospel with variations is the music for them. Intellect is progressive, they say. They must, therefore, march ahead of their forefathers. Incarnate deity, a holy life, an atoning death, and a literal resurrection, having heard these things now for nearly 19 centuries, they're just a little stale. And the cultivated mind hungers for a change from the old-fashioned manna. Even in Paul's day, this tendency was manifest. So they sought to regard facts as mysteries or parables, and they labored to find a spiritual meaning in them until they went so far as to deny them as actual facts. The Apostle Paul was very anxious that Timothy, at least, should stand firm to the old witness and should understand in their plain meaning his testimonies to the fact that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, rose again from the dead. Within the compass of this verse, several facts are recorded. And first, there is here the great truth that Jesus, the Son of the Highest, was anointed of God. The Apostle calls him Jesus Christ, that is, the Anointed One, the Messiah the scent of God. He calls him also Jesus, which signifies a Savior. And it is a grand truth that he who was born of Mary 
He who was laid in the manger at Bethlehem, he who loved and lived and died for us, is the ordained and anointed Savior of men. We have not a moment's doubt about the mission, office, (coughs) and design of our Lord Jesus. In fact, we hang our soul's salvation upon his being anointed of the Lord to be the Savior of men. This Jesus Christ was really and truly man. For Paul says he was of the seed of David. True, he was divine, and his birth was not after the ordinary manner of men. But still he was in all respects partaker of our human nature and came of the stock of David. This also we do believe. We are not among those who spiritualize the incarnation and suppose that God was here as a phantom or that the whole story is but an instructive legend. Nay, in very flesh and blood did the Son of God abide among men, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. Was he in the days of his sojourn here below? We know and believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. We love the incarnate God, and in him we fix our trust. It is implied, too, in the text that Jesus died, for he could not be raised from the dead if he had not first gone down among the dead and been one of them. Yes, Jesus died. The crucifixion was no delusion. The piercing of his side with a spear was most clear and evident proof that he was dead. His heart was pierced, and the blood and water flowed therefrom. As a dead man, he was taken down from the cross and carried by gentle hands and laid in Joseph's virgin tomb. I think I see that pale corpse, white as a lily. Mark how it is disdained with the blood of his five wounds, which make him red as the rose. See how the holy women tenderly wrap him in fine linen with sweet spices and leave him to spend his Sabbath all alone in the rock-hewn sepulchre. No man in this world was ever more surely dead than he. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, it says. As dead they laid him in the place of the dead with napkin and grave clothes and habiliments fit for a grave. Then they rolled the great stone at the grave's mouth and left him, knowing that he was dead. Then comes the grand truth, that as soon as ever the third sun commenced his shining circuit, Jesus rose again. His body had not decayed, for it was not possible for that holy thing to see corruption, but still it had been dead. And by the power of God, by his own power, by the Father's power, by the power of the Spirit, for it is attributed to each of these in turn, before the sun had risen, his dead body was quickened. The silent heart began again to beat, and through the stagnant canals of the veins, the life-blood began to circulate. The soul of the Redeemer again took possession of the body, and it lived once more. There he was within the sepulchre, as truly living as to all parts of him as he had ever been. He literally and truly in a material body came forth from the tomb to live among men 
until the hour of his ascension into heaven. This is the truth which is still to be taught. Refine it who may, spiritualize it who dare. This is the historical fact which the apostles witnessed. This is the truth for which the confessors bled and died. This is the doctrine which is the keystone of the arch of Christianity. And they that hold it not have cast aside the essential truth of God. How can they hope for salvation for their souls if they do not believe that the Lord is risen indeed? Well, this morning I wish to do three things. First, let us consider the bearings of the resurrection of Christ upon other great truths. Secondly, let us consider the bearings of this fact upon the gospel, for it has such bearings, according to the text. Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead, according to my gospel. And thirdly, let us consider its bearings on ourselves, which are all indicated in the word, remember. First then, beloved, as God shall help us, let us consider the bearings of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It is clear at the outset that the resurrection of our Lord was a tangible proof that there is another life. Have you not quoted a great many times certain lines about that undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns? It is not so. There was once a traveler who said that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go away, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He said, A little time, and you shall see me. And again, a little time, and you shall not see me, because I go to the Father. Do you not remember these words of his? Our divine Lord went to the undiscovered country, and he returned. He said that at the third day he would be back again, and he was true to his word. There is no doubt that there is another state for human life, for Jesus has been in it and has come back from it. We have no doubt as to a future existence, for Jesus existed after death. We have no doubt as to a paradise of future bliss, for Jesus went to it and returned. Though he has left us again, yet that coming back to tarry with us forty days has given us a sure pledge that he will return a second time when the hour is due. And then will be with us for a thousand years and reign on earth amongst his ancients gloriously. His return from among the dead is a pledge to us of existence after death, and we rejoice in it. His resurrection is also a pledge that the body will surely live again and rise to a superior condition, for the body of our blessed Master was no phantom after death any more <clears throat> than before. Handle me and see, he said. Oh, wondrous proof. He said, Handle me and see, and then to Thomas, Reach hither your finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. What deception is possible here? The risen Jesus was no mere spirit. He promptly cried, A spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. Bring me, said he, something to eat. And as if to show how real his body was, 
though he did not need to eat, yet he did eat. And a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb were proofs of the reality of the act. <clears throat> now the body of our Lord, in its risen state, did not exhibit the whole of his glorification. For otherwise we should have seen John falling at his feet as dead, and we should have seen all his disciples overcome with the glory of the vision. But still, in a great measure, we may call the forty days sojourn the life of Jesus in his glory upon earth. He, he was no longer despised and rejected of men, but a glory surrounded him. It is evident that the raised body passed from place to place in a single moment, that it appeared and vanished at will, and was superior to the laws of matter. The risen body was incapable of pain, of hunger, thirst, and weariness during the time in which it remained here below, fit representative of the bulk of which it was the first fruits. Of our body also it shall be said ere long, it was sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it was sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Secondly, Christ's rising from the dead was the seal to all his claims. It was true then that he was sent of God, for God raised him from the dead in confirmation of his mission. He had said himself, destroy this body and in three days I will raise it up. Lo, there he is, the temple of his body is rebuilt. He had even given this as a sign that as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so should the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and should then come forth to life again. Behold, his own appointed sign fulfilled. Before men's eye the seal is manifest. Suppose he had never risen. You and I might have believed in the truth of a certain mission which God had given him, but we could never have believed in the truth of such a commission as he claimed to have received, a commission to be our Redeemer from death and hell. How could he be our ransom from the grave if he had himself remained under the dominion of death? Dear friends, the rising of Christ from the dead proved that this man was innocent of every sin. He could not be holden by the bands of death, for there was no sin to make those bands fast. Corruption could not touch his pure body, for no original sin had defiled the Holy One. Death could not keep him a continual prisoner, because he had not actually come under sin. And though he took sin of ours and bore it by imputation and therefore died, yet he had no fault of his own and must therefore be set free when his imputed load had been removed. Moreover, Christ's rising from the dead proved his claim to deity. We are told in another place that he was proved to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. He raised himself by his own power, and though the Father and the Holy Spirit were cooperative with him, and hence his resurrection is ascribed to them, yet it was because the Father had given him to have life in himself that therefore he arose from the dead. Oh, risen Savior, thy rising is the seal of thy work. 
We can have no doubt about thee now, now that thou hast left the tomb. Prophet of Nazareth, thou art indeed the Christ of God, for God has loosed the bands of death for thee. Son of David, thou art indeed the elect and precious one, for thou ever livest. Thy resurrection, life, has set the sign manual of heaven to all that thou hast said and done. And for this we bless and magnify thy name. A third bearing of his resurrection is this, and it is a very grand one. The resurrection of our Lord, according to Scripture, was the acceptance of his sacrifice. By the Lord Jesus Christ, rising from the dead, evidence was given that he had fully endured the penalty which was due to human guilt. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's the determination of the God of heaven. Jesus stands in the sinner's stead and dies. And when he has done that, nothing can be demanded of him. For he that is dead is free from the law. You take a man who has been guilty of a capital offense. He's condemned to be hanged. He's hanged by the neck until he is dead. What more has the law to do with him? It has done with him, for it has executed its sentence upon him. If he could be brought back to life again, he's clear from the law. No writ that runs in Her Majesty's dominions can touch him. He has suffered the penalty. And so, when our Lord Jesus rose from the dead, after having died, he had fully paid the penalty that was due to justice for the sin of his people. And his new life was a life clear of penalty, free from liability. You and I are clear from the claims of the law, because Jesus stood in our stead. And God will not exact payment from both us and from our substitute. It were contrary to justice to sue both the surety and those for whom he stood. And now joy upon joy, the burden of liability which once did lie upon the substitute is removed from him also, seeing he has by the suffering of death vindicated justice and made satisfaction to the injured law. Now both the sinner and the surety are free. This is a great joy a joy for which to make the golden harps ring out a loftier style of music. He who took our debt has now delivered himself from it by dying on the cross. His new life, now that he has risen from the dead, is a life free from legal claim. And it is the token to us that we whom he represented are free also. Listen, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. It is a knockdown blow to fear when the apostle says that we cannot be condemned because Christ has died in our stead. But he puts a double force into it when he cries, yea, rather, that is risen again. If Satan, therefore, shall come to any believer and say, What about your sin? Tell him, Jesus died for it, and your sin is put away. If he comes a second time and says to you, What about your sin? Answer him, Jesus lives, and his life is the assurance of our justification. For if our surety had not paid the debt, he would still be under the power of death. 
inasmuch as Jesus has discharged all our liabilities and left not one farthing due to God's justice from one of his people, he lives and is clear, and we live in him, and are clear also, by virtue of our union with him. Is not this a glorious doctrine, this doctrine of the resurrection, in its bearing upon the justification of the saints? The Lord Jesus gave himself for our sins, but he rose again for our justification. There are more bearings to deal with, and other parts of this message to deal with. We'll deal with the second half next time. Thank you so much for uh, being here. And I want to ask you to look around the site. There are other, many other Spurgeon messages, literally hundreds, and 3,000 audios altogether featuring different preachers and teachings of my own, persecution stories from North Korea, more fellowship over at Pasturelands at Facebook, that is at my YouTube channel. You can go to Facebook also and find me. You can buy one of my books at Amazon.com. Or contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. And I'll share details about our Saturday evening and Tuesday noon Zoom meetings for men on Saturday and men and women on Tuesday. Well, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun. This audio is being released on 8-29, August 29, 2022. Lord willing, we get to talk again <clears throat> real soon. Bye-bye.